almost. Right. Where'd that saying almost is only good in horseshoes come from? <laughs> Why is every saying about animals? Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great. Well, today we are going to be talking about building strong bones, a lifelong journey with Dr. Scott Harrington, who comes on the second Thursday of every month for Vegan Doc Talk. Please welcome him to the show. How have you been? Oh, I've been good, Chef AJ. Thanks for having me on. I love coming on here and, uh, and talking with your audience. Well, we love having you. You get a lot of questions, let me tell you. All right, great, great. Well, I mean, this is a topic. This is a, a, a lot of my patients have osteoporosis. And so I, I thought we'd uh, really uh, dig into it. Well, let's get at it. Yeah, so that's true. Or osteopenia too. Osteopenia too, absolutely. All right. So, well, I guess we'll we'll get we'll dig right into it, right? Uh, and, and so we'll go. It's about a forty-five minute talk, and then we definitely have time for questions afterwards. Uh, and so let's let's do it. I'm going to share my screen, and then you let me know if it's all working out. So far, so good. All right. Oh Lord, here let's uh, let's get to the beginning. There you go. Yep, uh, we got to start over here. Bam. Okay, is it working out? Yep, I see you. Yes. So if you haven't been introduced to me, Dr. Scott Harrington, uh, I'm a family practice doctor who's also board certified in lifestyle medicine. I have a virtual practice. And you can see me in person if you're in Florida around the Tampa area. But uh, I have an online practice where you can see me no commute in many U.S. states, 30, 20, 23 U.S. states currently, uh, where we can order labs and do referrals and I could be your primary care doctor. Here are the current states that I currently have licenses in as of 14 September. So take a look. Uh, some of them are dropping off because there are just not a lot of uh, response from those states. But uh, uh, just if, if you're in one of those states, you want to be seen, uh, come schedule an appointment and we'll uh, get you on the books. So I'm in Pinellas Park, which is just north of St. Petersburg on Fridays. But you can also see me on Friday online as well. And I do take insurance and accept cash. Uh, Aetna, Cigna, TRICARE, and Medicare. We have a weekly free weight loss meeting uh, for my patients if they want to at 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay. That's it for the introduction. Let's talk about building strong bones, a lifelong journey. Okay, why did I call it a lifelong journey? Well, your, your bone mass is all throughout your life is set up from your early years. You hit a peak of about 30 to at age about 30 to 40, and you have to lay the foundation as a young person and you want to have good, healthy nutrition, good calcium intake from food to help build up your bones and be highly active and non-sedentary uh, and have all the lifestyle uh, things such as avoiding smoking and alcohol so that you can have nice, strong bones. So though that peak bone mass will carry you into uh, your older years because we know that just the biggest risk fracture for frail bones is age uh, because we do lose bone mass, bone mass over time. So how does this happen? Well, you may have heard of the osteoclasts that cut bone and the osteoblasts that build bone. So this is a, a schematic there, the osteoblasts 
uh, kind of looks like a little jellyfish right there. Uh, and it, it tunnels through bones and kind of eats away bones. And then the little macrophages will kind of uh, uh, prepped, prep the area for the osteoblast to build the bone and the bone becomes uh, remodeled and fixed. Uh, this is a fracture healing goes this way and just uh, bone is a living tissue, living tissue. So we have to treat our bones right, give it the right nutrition and the right uh, weight to keep our bones strong. Here is what it looks like under a microscope. You can see the osteoclast, the bigger cells, just kind of tunneling right through the bone there and the osteoblast building up. Okay, so what are the big factors that keep our bones strong in terms of the actual bony structure? Well, there's the uh, cortical bone or compact bone. This is the, the dense, thick bone uh, along the shaft of a bone. And then you have the spongy bone or also called the trabecular matrix. And uh, this is something that particularly takes a hit over the years. Over the years, the spongy bone can start to degrade. So here's an example of this trabecular matrix, the spongy bone, the microarchitecture they call it, uh, getting thinner over time. So here, here's kind of an example of a normal bone, an osteoporotic bone, uh, showing less of this inner matrix this spongy bone that helps to keep it supported over the years. Okay, so what is osteoporosis? We talk about spinal fractures and hip fractures. Spinal fractures or vertebral fractures, they're more common, but the, the hip fractures are more deadly. So in one year mortality for females, about 20% if you have a hip fracture or a 30 per, um, 37%, so even more for males. So people talk about uh, this, this uh, kind of curvature that you can get in your upper back, uh, this kyphosis, they call it. And you can imagine that that causes problems too as, you, as your thoracic cavity gets kind of hunched over and, and a decreased volume, you can imagine that causes problems with breathing or with your heart. Here's just kind of highlighted on this x-ray. You can imagine how it kind of curves you over uh, is some of those ver vertebrae can turn into sort of pizza shapes in terms of instead of squares, uh, and it creates increased uh, 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 curvature. So how are we going to test this? Well, honestly, the primary test is this thing called the DEXA scan. You may have heard this. Uh, it's dual energy X-ray absorbed geometry. And yes, it's, it's based on X-rays, and you, we do it through the lumbar spine, the femoral neck, and the total hip. So the femoral neck, because that's the thing that fractures on a hip fracture. And what I want you to see here is that these are uh, this green, yellow, and red area shows basically the loss that happens over time. And loss is normal. It is normal. But you would, you know, the goal is for you to keep as much of your bone mass. Uh, going into your older years as possible. So what are these lines? Normal, osteopenia, osteoporosis. Well, what do we know? What, how do we know what normal is? Well, in biology, the way that you kind of arrange these things are in a bell curve. You put everything in a line and biological processes will fall out in a bell curve. You have some people with higher bone, bone density, some people with less. And so uh, from the mean, from the middle, it's how far you are from the mean. It was a standard deviation. A standard deviation from the mean, that's what these lines are. One, two, 
Osteopenia is diagnosed as less than one standard deviation from the mean. So one less than one, a T-score less than one, and a T-score of less than 2.5 is osteoporosis. But what is this compared to? This is compared to people with peak bone mass, uh, uh, women who are at 30 years old uh, having a peak bone mass. That's what you compare it to your bone loss. So having a low T-score doesn't necessarily mean you're that abnormal. It just is a way to try to compare yourself to normal bone density. You can use Z-scores. Z-scores is another way to get a sex and race matched uh, number, a way to compare yourself to people your own uh, age, race, and sex. It's called a Z-score. If you're less than two or great, less than two standard deviations away, that is considered abnormal with a Z-score. So I'm just keeping you armed and dangerous with some of the, uh, the tools that doctors will talk to you, uh, how they'll talk to you. They'll be talking about T-scores and that's how they'll diagnose you. So what about, what about uh, radiation? I don't know, doc. I don't know if I wanna do one of these DEXA scans. Well, uh, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. You get radiation. So how much radiation are we talking about? Well, you have to compare the radiation to what you would get naturally. Naturally, you get radiation from the sun's cosmic rays just walking around and being on this earth. And so over a whole year, you get two to three millisieverts of radiation, two to three. A chest X-ray is 0.1 millisieverts, and that is the equivalent of the cosmic radiation you get from a flight from San Francisco to New York uh, from being up higher in the, in the atmosphere, you get more radiation. But uh, a, a DEXA scan is about one third of that or less. So, I mean, that's somewhat reassuring if you have to get a, a DEXA scan just to know that it wouldn't be too much radiation. Well, can you do this without DEXA scan? Well, you can do, there's this, this little calculation you can do called the osteoporosis self-assessment tool. You can take your weight and turn it into kilograms and pounds and turn it into kilograms by dividing by 2.2 minus your age and then take that whole number and multiply it by two, uh, 0.2. If that number, if that score is less than one, there's a high chance that you have osteoporosis. So you can do a little, little calculator math without having to uh, get a DEXA scan. So what, so what, so what about bone mineral density tested by bone uh, DEXA scan? It's true, not, bone density is not the only thing that uh, puts you at risk for fractures. I mean, there's balance, there's strength, there's ability to get up and go, there's, uh, you know, whether you have dizziness, uh, these kind of things, uh, your athletic ability and reflexes, um, these things all play a role. But um, what you'll see in this graph is that uh, the, the bone density scores are, are the orange and the yellow lines uh, at, to, and at, in relationship to fracture risk. And you can see that it does go up. But the, but the overall blue line is, is regular uh, risk, just risk from just living based on your age. And then you can see the highest line is that if you've had a previous fracture before. If you've had a previous fracture before, there's something going on. There's, there's certain risks. There's maybe there's genetic um, risks that make you more at risk for a fracture. And so you have to be even more uh, concerned. What about age and weight? Age and weight. So these numbers, the green, red, and, and green lines, uh, the green, red, and blue lines here are the T scores. 
And what, as you get older, your bone density goes lower and your T-score uh, gets more negative so that it's going up. And weight, we do know that weight uh, is associated with the T-scores and bone mineral density. So the lower your weight, the lower your bone mineral density. So that uh, the higher your weight, the, the higher your bone mineral density in general. So that, that, uh, that kind of closely correlates. They do have tools for this called the FRAX, the Fracture Risk Assessment Tool. And this is a pretty good tool and it uses uh, your age and weight and height and uh, the various risk factors like previous fracture, smoking, steroid use, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And you put it all into the system. And this is something that you guys can just Google fracture, fracture risk assessment tool. And boom, you'll have access to it. It's free. And it'll give you a, a risk for major osteoporosis fracture or a hip fracture. Uh, so you can see that hip fracture is much less uh, there's much less incidence of hip, hip fracture, but once again, they're mo more deadly. In general, doctors will try to recommend medications for you if your major osteoporotic risk is over 20% in 10 years, or if your hip fracture risk is over 3%. So you can kind of get an idea if this is, a, if this is what doctors would recommend by using this easy fracture risk assessment tool. So these are the risk factors in that tool. But one of the, the, the risk factors is secondary osteoporosis. What's secondary osteoporosis? Well, there are other, there's medical conditions that put you at risk for having low bone mineral density, like rheumatoid arthritis, like having early menopause, decreased estrogen levels early on in your life, like having malabsorption symptoms where you're not getting all the nutrients, things like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Uh, these are some risk factors. There's other risk factors that aren't on this list. And I would like to highlight, I want to give uh, Dr. Clapper a shout out here uh, because he, he, he coined this term calcium thieves. I like that calcium thieves. You know, if you're eating a lot of salt and sugar, or if you're drinking sodas, this causes you to have increased calcium loss through the urine. Uh, and so there's lots of different reasons why. Um, High doses of caffeine is associated with more calcium loss. So that's greater than two cups of caffeine, of coffee worth of caffeine uh, per day. Excessive stress raises your cortisol and that will thin your bones. And even having acid blockers can decrease your body's absorption of, of uh, calcium. And then there was a concern about acid forming foods meat, things that are heavy in meat and, and super processed foods can raise your potential renal acid load. This is uh, basically, there. you've heard of the alkaline diet versus acid forming foods. This is a thing and it does uh, cause uh, increased calcium loss. So somewhat of the, the, this alkaline diet has somewhat been debunked a little bit in that we do know that as your protein increases, you do have more uh, calcium absorption. So, um, but still, this is still a factor, this PRAL score. Okay, well, what if I want to see this in a decision aid about whether I need to take medications uh, and these decision aids are really good for putting things out for patients to see uh, what are their risks. 
because risks and statistics are confusing and can be misleading. So I really like these decision aids. Um, my patients gave me some good feedback on some uh, info that I put out here in Chef AJ about home testing and laboratories and knowing, knowing uh, and, and getting tools in their hands. And I really like this tool, the Mayo Clinic Bone Health Decision Aid. So it has the same information as the FRAX tool, but what it does is it highlights your actual risk in, uh, in little, uh, little numbers, uh, you know, like a pictorial infographic. So here we have a 65-year-old female Caucasian. She weighs 115 pounds and she's five foot five, puts her at a BMI of 19.4, but she has no other risk factors. So based on that age and those risk factors, she's at 10% risk uh, in 10 years. And what they have on this decision aid is if you took medications and you can talk with your doctor about bisphosphonates, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you take this. Ideally, we try to work out without met using medicines. But in this case, if this person takes bisphosphonates for five years, their 10-year risk uh, only drops 4%. So um, that is a uh, absolute, you know, their absolute versus relative risk, they'd say, oh, it's a 40% improvement, but it's only really a 4% absolute improvement. So that uh, is one of the things. Now there's a little toggle on there, osteoporotic fracture versus hip fracture. So if you toggle this thing up at the top, it'll tell you your risk for hip fracture with those same risks. And in this case, hip fracture is much, much less common. So only two, and the bisphosphonates would not uh, make it that much better for you in that instance for hip fracture. So that, that's just another thing to take into consideration. Meanwhile, bisphosphonates, one out of uh, uh, four people will experience severe heartburn. And then also there's the dreaded jaw breakdown, osteonecrosis risk, albeit that is very rare, but that's one thing that, um, that scares a lot of people away from bisphosphonates. Okay. What about someone who's got a lot higher risk, same weight and age, but previous fracture and smokes and drinks, they have a much bigger risk. And then you can see uh, this, this uh, decision aid, uh, you can kind of toggle it around Find your risk, know what your risks are, and then decide for yourself, you know, oh my gosh, should, should I be, you know, drinking? Should I be smoking? I'm losing bone mass. This is important. I want to live a long time. Use these tools to your advantage because they're free and just online. What about the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is that vegans have a higher risk for fracture. They've proven it, and it's 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 sad, it's sad, but true, you know. Us vegans, we've got so many things going for us, you know, decreased cardiovascular risk, decreased cancer risk, you know, lower weight. We can, you know, add years to our life, but, you know, we can't have our cake and eat it too, in a way, because uh, there is a little bit of additional risk for fractures. For, uh, for vegans versus the omnivores in this study, Epic Oxford study is a big study, 19 additional uh, fractures for, for a thousand per 1,000 people over 10 years, despite getting enough protein and calcium. Uh, but the, the, the folks who are less than 22.5 BMI were particularly at risk, 1.6 times their original uh, or baseline risk. So what do we take away with this? So what, so what? Well, it means that you should just pay super attention to your bone risks that you should be watching out for falls, you should be staying physically fit and have good balance, 
you should be making sure to uh, check out your diet and making sure you are getting calcium and we'll go over those numbers. So it just means that as vegans, we have to actually pay attention to this and, uh, and, and stay on track. Don't let it get out, out of a uh, slip out of our hands. What could be some of the reasons why uh, omnivores had this had additional uh, protection? Well, it could be the fat cushioning. If you have a higher fat percentage, it could cushion your fall. Uh, increased fat will uh, cause an estrogen state, a higher estrogen state, and estrogen helps bone growth. Uh, but it also increases your risk for breast cancer. So, uh, you know, it's 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 what what are uh, what are you concerned about? I would suggest that being heavier weight causes way more problems than the uh, than the fracture risk. Um, also, having heavier body shape will put more mass on the bones, more mass stress on the bones, which encourages higher bone density. So those those are some of the reasons. So what do we do about it? And this has changed the way I think about exercise. Uh, studying for this topic, this has really changed my behavior. And the, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of aerobic activity. I've been running a lot more. And uh, but what this has shown me is that I need to be hitting the gym, hit in the weights, because exercise is the best medicine for your bones, as far as we know it right now. And that exercise has improved bone mineral density. Two to three times a week is better than once a week, which is better than being sedentary. And high resistance, high intensity, high resistance is better. But all exercise is good. Okay, so this slide's a little intense, but uh, I wanted to show you in a meta-analysis, what are they talking about? What's the difference between low intensity, moderate, and high? What they're saying for low intensity is things like walking and jogging, you know, swimming, uh, elastic band training uh, with light weights that you can do many reps, over 15 reps. Moderate training brings those reps, the ability to do those reps down, you know, to eight to 15. Uh, and it, it includes more body weight exercises, uh, calisthenics and jumping. But the high intensity group was, it was based off their one rep max, the most weight that you can lift. And you drop that down into the 80% of that to try to get about five reps, uh, where, where at five reps you hit uh, exhaustion. And so that's very heavy. That's very heavy. And um, that is what was studied. And when they studied that, they found that all exercise helped. This is a meta-analysis. And you may, you know, since you've been with Chef AJ for a while, you may have seen other doctors put up these meta-analysis when they have lots of different studies. Each one of these little uh, uh, horizontal lines represents a study. And if it's to the right of the vertical line, it means that it was positive, pro for exercise. And so the low intensity was just right over the edge. The moderate intensity was over the edge. And the high intensity showed the most benefit. So it's a, a little bit wider uh, diamond there at the bottom. And so all exercise helped, but uh, high intensity helped the most. One of the trials that we're talking about now is the lift more trial. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into what, what was this design? The study design was people 50, uh, women 58 or older with uh, at least they had to have osteopenia, so thinner bones. They worked with the trainer. And I think this is a big, this is a big uh, moment for me that I realized, oh my gosh, I need to be working with a trainer too because I need to have good form. If I'm going to be lifting heavy weights, I need to 
I don't want to injure myself further. So what they did was they had a trainer work with the form for almost two months. Uh, and then they, they monitored them for eight months of this exercise, 30 minutes a, a, a time, twice a week. They would warm up with some lighter deadlifts. And then they did three exercises with the heavy weights. They did deadlifts, overhead press, and back squats. And we'll, we'll show you a quick little schematic of that. And then they had people do uh, jumping chin-ups. So uh, where they basically, it's kind of like intense rebounder where they're landing uh, on their feet. Uh, and so there's some impact as well. So what does this look like? The deadlifts uh, is, you know, picking the weight up from the ground. Overhead press is starting with it at your shoulders and lifting it over your head. And then the back squat is, is holding it on your back and, and squatting and then standing up. Now, they would do five sets of each of these. This is really intense. Uh, and so 85% of their one rep max weight. So that's pretty intense. The impact loading was having a, uh, a chin-up bar that was, that was high enough that you can reach it. You grabbed it, had an underarm grip, and you would jump up, and then you would land on your feet. So you'd pull yourself up and jump and land on your feet to put impact loading on your bones. Okay. So what did this do, this high impact training? It increased the lumbar bone mineral density by two, three, almost 3%. Unfortunately, it didn't help with the, the femoral neck. And so you know, more studies will have to figure out ways to get more uh, on the femoral neck. Um, but once again, the lumbar spine is the most common site of fracture. So versus the control that we're told to exercise at home, uh, they had actual lost bone mass and, uh, and so, you know, I know 3% doesn't sound like a lot, but this, this is what we're working with. This is, this is the best that we can do right now, is this lift more trial. So despite the bone mineral density, which is only one factor, there are other factors from the, from the high lifting, the high resistance that showed many other factors that were positive for preventing a fracture, like strength, like uh, the get up and go test, like how fast, how agile are you? Uh, and then how far can you jump? So these are like balance and uh, functional activities that could help prevent a fall. So I think this is very important. Okay, we're, it, I, 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 I told people this and they're like, are you kidding? That's gonna cause injuries. And that, that's kind of the myth that the Lift More uh, uh, study kind of dispelled was the idea that uh, the, the LIFTMORE trial didn't have any fractures and they followed them for eight months. So, uh, and then in, in the meta-analysis that went through uh, many other studies, they, had, they did have fractures, but the control groups had higher rates of fractures. So I don't wanna discourage people. I want encourage people to do uh, supervised with a trainer uh, to, to uh, and any activity is better than none. So a Angela Ficchetti, she was seen on uh, Chef AJ and she has improved her bone mineral density. And uh, I, if you haven't seen this and you have uh, low bone mineral density, I recommend that you go check it out. Uh, Angela Ficchetti, she goes over some of her, her techniques and uh, she shows that she's wearing a, a weighted vest and, and, and she's doing squats and this kind of thing. And she brought her bone mineral density that was equivalent to a nine-year-old up to normal in, the, in her age bracket, osteopenia, mild osteopenia. So that was pretty impressive. And so you can do it too. You can do it too. 
All right, all right. What about calcium, doc? Oh my gosh, I'm pulling my hair out with this calcium thing because there's poor consensus. I mean, nobody can agree on it. I mean, we've got the Institute of Medicine and the US RDA recommendations, 1200 for a 50 year old uh, female. Uh, and honestly, that's kind of hard to get with, with normal food. And, and, and so it kind of puts you at this sort of like, man, should I supplement? It kind of, kind of gets you into that mindset. Maybe I need to be supplementing. Well, not everybody agrees on that. UK says 700 milligrams and Europe 950, Japan and India much less. Uh, so who's right? Who's right? Where, 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 do we, where do we stand on this? What do we do? This is the RDA. And so it, it changes based on age group, but it's pretty high in kids. Look at it. And kids are growing. And, you know, Dr. Harrington, I recommend that people have, you know, high calcium in the younger ages so that they can, you know, get their peak bone mass up. So, um, but look at these high numbers, uh, 1300 milligrams for a, a teenager. Uh, so that, that's really high. And that's the RDA. And can you get it from milk? Why don't you just drink three cups of milk per day? You'll be good. Well, milk does not prevent fractures and it increases your risk for death. Oh my God. Uh, this was a big study, 107,000 people, both men and women followed for 20 years and no, no prevention, no, no improvement with fractures and increased chance of death. So uh, ditch the dairy. That's what uh, Dr. Barnard says. And oh gosh, calcium supplementations, oh, by the way, increases your risk for heart attack and stroke. Oh my God, what do we do now? Women greater than 55 were treated with one gram of calcium and it almost doubled their risk for heart attack. In the, um, in the treatment group, one gram gave them 21 heart attacks. And in the placebo group, there was 10. So double it. And stroke, 31 strokes versus 22 strokes. So scary stuff. Who knew? Well, who do we, how do we know what's right and what do we do? You know, these are governmental institutions potentially influenced by things like the dairy industry. And, uh, and so, well, who, who's... Who's, who's got the right answer here? Well, I really like this calcium balance study where uh, they, they, they tracked the amount of calcium in versus the amount of calcium out. And what they found was that the body can adapt. If, you haven't, if you're not eating very much calcium, the body absorbs more. And if you're eating too much, it kind of excretes more. So uh, you can see this kind of very linear line uh, with the input and output uh, graph that input is a graph towards output. And they recommend based on this, that the natural balance is achieved at 741 milligrams of calcium up to a max of 1,035 milligrams of calcium. So a good goal, Dr. Harrington recommends, a good goal is 741 milligrams uh, or more with normal food. And this is achievable. This is achievable. I want you to use a chronometer, a food log that can allow you to track your calcium so you can see brass tacks. Am I getting 741 milligrams of calcium? Sometimes you have to adjust the setting on the, on the food log tracker to put it up to uh, uh, change it from the 1200 if you're female or 1000 for male, all the way down to 741 to make sure you're, uh, so you're tracking that number instead.
U.S. Preventative Task Force. Here we have the RDA recommending a high dose, but then you have the U.S. Preventative Task Force recommending against supplementation, saying it doesn't prevent fractures for postmenopausal women. So this is uh, this is kind of crazy, right? So it says um, vitamin D does not prevent fractures in postmenopausal women at calcium 1,000 milligrams or less, or vitamin D 400 international units or less a D recommendation suggesting that uh, no benefit and may have some potential harms, such things like kidney stones and stuff like that. Well, how are we gonna do this from plants? Okay, we're vegan. I'm not telling you to go out and drink milk. You can drink a plant-based milk. You can get a book like uh, Nourish, you know, from Brenda Davis, uh, one of my favorite plant-based dietitians. Uh, she's amazing. She's, and, um, in Nora, she's got a good good uh, table here for about calcium. Fortified milk having three to four, 300 to 450 milligrams of calcium. Tofu, a calcium set tofu, tends to have more calcium. Check it out, what, what, what's it, it's got in the um, serving size on the nutrition facts. And she recommends using some blackstrap molasses for sweetener. I know that, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not eating a lot of blackstrap molasses, but this is, is a uh, kind of a, for, a food that you can use almost like a supplement in your sweets. Um, getting your greens and your beans, like broccoli rabe, soybeans, kale, sesame is really high. So uh, the goal is to get it from food. And Brenda Davis breaks down some of her recommendations. She says, for kids, it's nice to have a fortified milk uh, in your house so that you can, uh, you know, because the kids, they may not eat very much and having this as a kind of a surefire way to get it, to get kids have a decent amount of calcium. Uh, she recommends eating greens twice per day. And I could not agree more. Eat greens twice per day, a big salad and include them in soups and stews. You can make smoothies. And uh, if you're not getting greens in, you may not be getting enough calcium. One note of caution, I know that you know, you've heard about this on Chef AJ's channel about high oxalate greens. We're talking about spinach, beet greens, and Swiss chard. And some people are like, oh, just avoid them. Or, and then some people are like, oh, there's no problem. But in terms of calcium, it is a problem. The oxalate does make the absorption of calcium harder. Uh, so you only get about 5%. So I'm not saying not to eat these all together because they do have a lot of health benefits. But when you're checking on your calcium, you you uh, you want to be counting more of the other the other greens. All right, we're getting towards the end here on, on some of my recommendations. Then we're going to get into to the case studies. But uh, vitamin D, I know the U.S. Preventative Task Force doesn't recommend this for fracture prevention. But instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, in terms of there are still benefits of vitamin D. Vitamin D has a black eye. It has a black eye because we know that uh, many things it's been studied for, including fracture prevention has been kind of, uh, you know, either negative or lukewarm or not as good as we thought. But uh, even the Cochrane database, one of the most uh, venerated evidence-based recommendation platforms recommends vitamin D for mortality benefit. Uh, you do, uh, you have to treat a lot of people to save one person uh, life with vitamin D. Um, but my, my, my thing with vitamin D is if you find out that you're very low, you know, 15, 11, 15, you know, you're under 30, I think it's reasonable to supplement 
up to get yourself over 30. Some say suggest that the sweet spot is about 70 uh, nanomoles per, per liter. But um, over-treatment could cause things like kidney stones, so you do have to watch out. I'm not saying it's a panacea, but uh, I, I'm not uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater there on vitamin D. Okay, we're switching gears. We're switching gears. We're going to do some a quick case study on these three individuals. We've got a young athlete. We've got a busy professional and a, and a senior retiree person. Let's talk about the young athlete. Okay, she's 23. She is an elite dancer and from, you know, have been very busy and working hard and spending a lot of calories on her athletic performances. She has lost her menses and or had uh, uh, irregular menses and then has stopped having a menses. And oh, by the way, she's had a stress fracture in her foot. She vapes and she drinks. Okay. What are her risks? What are her risks? Well, she's she's dealing with something called the female athlete triad. Female, and I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that you know females can't be athletes. I want I want my females you know females to be athletes, but um, if you're expending so much calories and not able to uh, to manage and and make and eat enough, you can uh, have a state where you lose your period, which causes bone loss due to lower estrogen states, and we'll get into that. So uh, in this case, I would be making sure that we went over, if, if she was my patient, we would go over the calorie intake. I would be discouraging her from smoking because it increases your risk 1.8 times for fracture later on in life. And so we'd be trying to get the menses back because the starvation states that cause the, uh, the uh, female athlete triad uh, decrease the estrogen decre and decrease your thyroid and your cortisol, which all cause thinner bones. Uh, so how do we know? How do we know how much calories to get the, the menses back? Well, if you know when you lost your menses about what weight you were, you try to go four pounds over that. That's it, what your goal is to, to get it back. Or to make sure you have enough calories, you use 30 calories per kilogram of lean body mass. If someone's 5'5 five, five at 32 pounds, that means 98 uh, 98 uh, kilograms, oh, 98 pounds of lean body mass, 44 kilograms. And so if you multiplied that by 30, that gives you 1300. So why am I going over this? You can see that if, if 1300 calories are all at, if you're under that, you're going to lose your menses, that that's a pretty low number. Uh, because at that weight, in order to maintain your weight, in order to not be in a weight loss state, even if you're sedentary, it takes 1600 calories. So um, it, it, it suggests it behooves you to kind of get your calories up just a little bit more so that you're, uh, so you're not having that low estrogen state and when you're young and you're increasing your peak bone mass. It's very important. Okay, let's talk about the busy professional. All right, she's 53. She has a sedentary job like all of us, pretty much. She drinks wine uh, to kind of wind down. She also has asthma and she's taking steroids, glucocorticoids, which cause bone loss. So that's very, very concerning. And she avoids the sun. Okay, what are we gonna do here? We would work together. I would be encouraging a supervised plan of weight lifting, like we talked about, that high intensity resistance and impact training. I would be discouraging alcohol 
alcohol shows a 1.68 risk for if you're drinking three drinks or more. So I'm not saying drink two drinks. I'm trying, I'm saying cut down alcohol is the devil is poison. I don't recommend it, uh, but the, the less the better. Okay. Uh, in terms of the steroid use, I don't know. You probably know folks, or you, you might be getting in the habit yourself of calling your doctor and asking for steroids during colds and various, you know, my back hurts. Maybe I should suppress my immune system with steroids. Uh-uh, this is a bad idea. Decreases your bone mass. It, it, it causes you to pee out bone, you know, some of your bones. And um, people who have immune problems can be doing this a lot, uh, like rheumatoid disease. And so we have, to, we have to work together to try to get you off the habit of do, using these steroids. There's various things to see your doctor, try to get off those. Um, if, if, uh, if she's fair skin and she avoids the sun, I would double, I would double check her vitamin D just to make sure she's not deficient and bump her up if she was deficient. Okay. Last case, last thing we've got a retiree. She's low weight, BMI 19, but she doesn't do any exercise, kind of has a low appetite, family history of fractures. And she's starting to notice like a curvature in her upper back and she's scared and she's wanted to know about osteoporosis. And so she comes to me. And so we, we look, what we would do is we would look up her risk for fracture with those fracture tools, like the Mayo Clinic tool, which showed that she has a 15% risk. Under, she's under 20% risk for osteoporosis fracture. So there's no recommendation or no, no discussion about uh, medications at this time. But what I would be spending my time is trying to encourage her to get a personal trainer or to, to look at Chef AJ's talk with uh, Angela Fichetti about um, exercise and improving bone mineral density. I would be trying to get uh, look up ways to try to improve her appetite by encouraging small meals and maintaining her weight to try to avoid losing additional weight because that's, that's a problem at BMI 19. And then... She's taking a thousand milligrams of calcium per day and she's increasing her risk for heart attack. So I would, I would have her stop that. And we would, we would have her track her calcium at the chronometer, the tracking tool to try to get her calcium 740 or above. Okay, that concludes Bone Health Throughout Life by Dr. Harrington. I recommend high intensity exercise. Use it or lose it, folks. Track your calcium, get 740 milligrams. Get calcium from the food. And if you have poor bone health or have those other risk factors for bone health, see Dr. Harrington or a plant-based doctor. I take Aetna, Cigna, TRICARE, Medicare. I'm in 23 states currently. And you can also see me in person in Pinellas Park, Florida. All okay. right. Nice talk. You know what? I will link to Angela's talk in the show notes. All right. Thank you. Uh, so we've got actually questions that were sent in in advance on the topic and also in the chat. And the first one I see is from Florence asking, what greens don't have oxalates? Well, you know, there are many greens that have oxalates, but the, the top three that uh, we worry about are spinach, uh, Swiss chard, and beet greens. But uh, so there's there's other greens that you have plenty of options. You have um some of the high calcium greens I mentioned here are, are like uh, turnip, mustard greens, and things like um, kale, obviously, but uh, cabbage and uh, dandelion greens, some of those wild greens, purslane, these have high calcium. So 
th those are some great options. You know, purslane grows like a weed. You can have these little, you can grow purslane in your window. You could put a little uh, pot and put a little of these purslane seeds and it'll just go bonkers, you know? I know. And when you do buy it, like at, like we have like a Latino markets here, it's like four for a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to grow. Yep. So uh, Beth says in fracture risk assessment, do you consider any previous fracture or only non-traumatic fractures? Um, you put, put uh, ideally it's uh, osteoporosis type fractures that are associated with a fall um, of a normal, you know, height or walking, walking height, um, you know, uh, twisting your ankle and fracturing your ankle, uh, things like that versus a traumatic fracture. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider a traumatic fracture like a car wreck uh, or, you know, something like that to be considered an osteoporotic fracture. Nice. Thanks. Andrea says, is Voltaren considered a steroid? Voltaren is an NSAID and it's topical. So in terms of uh, NSAIDs, it's one of the safer NSAIDs to use. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not scared of Voltaren. In terms of NSAIDs, I mean, in the army, ibuprofen is called Ranger Candy. I mean, we used ibuprofen a lot, but it turns out that I was probably really hurting my patients with you know, uh, gastritis and potential leaky gut from this, the effects it has on the GI tract. Uh, so I'm really leery about people taking chronic NSAIDs nowadays. Uh, you know, how many people deal with chronic, you know, pain in their joints? And so NSAIDs are really uh, at the forefront of people's minds. But yeah, you want to try to get off them. And you're, you're looking for uh, turmeric, turmeric or curcumin with black, with black pepper, um, you know, you're looking for these uh, uh, non-NSAID type ways or topical things like topical Voltaren's great idea. Icy hot uh, um, heat, heating pad. My favorite thing to tell people if they have like a back strain or they hurt their neck is not to use NSAIDs, but is to use one of those electric heating pads at night um, to kind of, it's like a smoke screen for your pain. Um, so yeah, trying to avoid NSAIDs is a, is a big topic. But don't fall asleep on the heating pad, right? No, ideally you get the temp timed ones where it's like 20 minutes and, and, and you don't want to make it too hot. You just want to make it so you can sense the heat so that um, all those heat signals are fat traveling through the same sensory pathway as the pain. And so it's kind of like white noise for, uh, for, for your ears, uh, but white noise for the pain. Nice. And there's a question, how long should we be in the sunbathing daily for optimal vitamin D? Okay. It depends on your latitude. Uh, it depends on your latitude, uh, but uh, 15 to 30 minutes is what you uh, want to try to do a midday sun. And, um, and so if you're in the lower latitudes, you can do this even during the winter time. But in like high latitudes, like, you know, London, you know, Norton, um, uh, the Northeast, uh, sometime in the, in the wintertime, you may not get, no matter how long you stand out there, you might not get uh, adequate vitamin D from the sun. And so you may need to take a 2000 international unit uh, vitamin D during the wintertime. Great. Thank you. Uh, this question was sent in in advance from Anonymous. 
What is your opinion of injectable drugs like Timlos and Avenity for someone that has osteoporosis and has had fractures, such as vertebral compression fractures and pelvic insufficiency fractures? Okay, one of the things I did not cover in my talk uh, are all the myriad of treatments. Um, one, because ideally I want my patients not to be taking a bunch of medications, but let's be real, let's be real, we have science, We've got the we've got the pharmaceutical industry and we've got we've got tools, and uh, this question came up before uh, Chef AJ about uh, the treatment, and uh, I'm not against medical therapies uh, as a blanket statement. I, I want my patients to be able to use the tools that we have available, and it's very different. It's something called primary prevention. Primary prevention means I've never had a fracture. Okay, so I've got low bone density but I've never had a fracture yet. And you can determine based on one of those calculators, your risk, and you can kind of make a decision. Uh, and you know it kind of makes you feel like steering away from treatment in that situation. However, in secondary prevention, prevention of a future fracture, you wanna be talking to your doctor and looking into some medications um, in addition to lifestyle measures. So, uh, you know, I'm a lifestyle medicine doctor, and I would like to say that, you know, lifestyle medicine is going to like cure everything. And for the most part, it does. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at these tools. Uh, there's basically they're in several categories, uh, but there's the um, anti-resorptive or the, the ones that um, uh, uh, will uh, basically stop the osteoclasts poison the osteoclasts basically. And so that you just have the bone build, uh, builders and you and hopefully you can stop uh, breaking down. Uh, and then you have the uh, anabolic ones, the ones that could try to build the bone. And uh, there are certain things they can do and certain things they can't do. Um, but uh, I still, no matter what you're doing and what you decide with those medicines, you still have to make sure you're getting adequate calcium from food. You have to make sure you're not losing weight Hard to be anabolic if you're being catabolic, if you're losing weight. So you wanna, you wanna maintain, and you wanna be doing those exercises to drive the, uh, to cause the bone to want to increase their calcium uptake and increase their bone mineral density. So um, uh, I tap dance around that a little bit, but yeah, medicines, we have the tools, see your doctor and discuss the risks. Thank you. Okay, next question from say their name. Uh, Gail, she was doc diagnosed with osteoporosis two years ago. Last week, she had a bone density uh, results that showed a little bit more progression of the osteoporosis. She's uh, 58, 5'4", and 97 pounds. Ooh. Uh, she walks three miles a day, but she doesn't do any weight resistance training, which she knows she must do. Whole food plant, exclusive SOS free, no junk food. Her doctor wants her to take calcium supplements. She's apprehensive because it can cause calcification in arteries as it did in her sister. What are your thoughts on calcium supplements or other ways to improve don't bone density, or at least maintain what I have. I do take D3 and B12. Thank you. Okay. All right. So this is a common situation. I'm glad this topic has been brought up because, uh, you know, it's, we do have uh, good evidence that people who are postmenopausal, uh, that calcium and vitamin D does not prevent fractures, but we don't have a lot of things to tell us what to do in people who've already had fractures or severe osteoporosis. 
in, in terms of, uh, of that? Like, what do you do with someone who has osteoporosis or had a, had a, a, a fracture? But you can kind of extrapolate from the data that it's not so much the, the calcium and the, and the vitamin D. Um, as long as you don't have a vitamin D deficiency, I recommend bringing that up. But she's already taken vitamin D. So should she take calcium or not? And I recommended based on this topic here that we get at least 740 milligrams uh, through food, which is doable. And so, yeah, you want to talk to your doctor about the Cochrane database or the um, talk to talk to your doctor about uh, the um, U.S. Preventative Task Force recommendation about about uh, the supplementation. Uh, but uh, yeah, if for some reason you can't get uh, 740 milligrams through food, then you could consider supplementation up to that up to that level. Uh, but it's it's a hard it's a hard sell for other for doctors because they're going to say, of course we need to supplement. Of course, you know that just doesn't make any good common sense not to supplement. You know that that seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot. But uh, like the patient said, there is a risk for uh, uh, supplementation too. So you're having to weigh that benefit. But of the things that we seem to be most effective is the exercise. So she mentioned that she was not exercising and that is key. That is, that is the number one. Well, she wasn't doing any weight bearing resistance. She was, it sounds like she was walking. Oh, okay. Reasonable weight, get a weight belt. Um, you can carry, carry weights with you. Um, and walking and stuff like that is very, uh, it's very unlikely to cause uh, uh, injury. And so I'm not suggesting that you go out and injure yourself. I do recommend that starting with a personal trainer because those things like deadlifts and the and the and the and the squatting with it on their back and these kind of things can cause injury. Uh, and so having someone who's trained in this to get you with light weights and a bar uh, with proper form, but and then uh, and then figuring out your one rep max weight, these kind of things take a team. They take somebody else here to support you. Um, and to help you get, get back on track with your bone density. Thank you. Next question is from Judy. I'm having an, oops, wait a minute. No, that was, oh yeah, here it is. So how do GI conditions such as FODMAP sensitivities and SIBO impact the ability to absorb proper bone building nutrients for vegans? I'm a 69-year-old underweight female with osteoporosis diagnosed with a SIBO variant and currently on a low FODMAP elimination diet. I work out with rates and recently completed PT also for osteoporosis. I'm having a hard time getting enough calories to gain weight while trying to be SOS free. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So th this is a problem. This is a concern um, because with an elimination diet, a plant-based diet is already kind of like an elimination diet. <laughs> yeah. You're already, you're already eliminating so many things and then adding the FODMAP complications to it. You know, you're really, uh, you're in kind of a minefield. Uh, and so um, I get worried about SIBO diagnoses and I, I'm not trying to second guess the diagnosis, but you end up uh, treating with antibiotics a lot of times and it kind of puts you right back, uh, eventually get right back to the SIBO scenario. So looking for ways uh, to eat so that you can decrease your SIBO symptoms uh, is what is how I try to gear that. Um, so yes, it, we, we, you're looking for ways to improve your uh, weight. You don't want to be losing weight. If you're losing weight, you're probably losing bone too. And so uh, you have to look to increasing your frequency. 
uh, increase, you maybe, maybe try smoothies. Uh, one thing, FODMAP, if you're trying to do the FODMAP diet, you're probably thinking, you know, there's gas and bloating and everything. So you can um, cook your foods, you can make smoothies, do uh, pre-digest them. You can kind of basically blend them, cook them, this kind of thing to increase the palatability, increase the, uh, the ease at which you digest them, that kind of thing. That, that's kind of, that's how I would approach it with this patient. Thank you. And Sandra would like to know if you could help her with calcium math. It's recommended that I get 1200 milligrams of calcium per day. I've read that you can only absorb 500 milligrams at a time and that you only absorb about 50% of the calcium in food. So if, for example, I get 500 milligrams of calcium for my breakfast, but I'm only absorbing 250 milligrams, does that mean that only 250 count towards my 1200 per day? Great question. Yeah. So you can see how the math gets kind of fuzzy and it looks like an impossible amount of calcium that you'd have to eat in order to get the 1200 uh, milligrams. So in that equation, you know, it's not saying get 1200 milligrams of absorbable calcium. So yeah, you know, that's, that's the recommendation. And a lot of times you wonder if that's one of the reasons why the, the U S has put the calcium recommendation so high is that they may assume, assume uh, poor absorption. So um, yeah, so as long as you're not getting it, you're, you're calculating your calcium from those uh, high oxalate greens, uh, just try, try to get a, 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 at least, like I said, 740 milligrams uh, to 1,030 milligrams, trying to get it in that window. That's the goal. Use, use a food log to try to get it into that recommendation. Uh, I wouldn't do it with supplementation. You can add a fortified milk that can be almost like your supplement. Uh, you can add tofu, uh, calcium set tofu is pretty, uh, pretty high. You can do things like um, sesame seeds. Tahini is, is ground and probably more digestible. Uh, so you can, you can add that. You can like make hummus. So uh, garbanzo beans are pretty high. So you can do hummus with a tahini. I'm just, you know, one tablespoon, nothing, nothing too high. Um, so you, there, there are tricks that you can do, but don't, don't, I wouldn't, I would, I would basically kind of stop the math uh, on, on the absorption um, uh, concern because it basically sounds like you're, you're, you're uh, feeling it's an impossible, possible task. And I, I want, I want to give you back control. You, you can do this. Thank you. Uh, Ruth is asking about whole body vibration. I haven't seen the data on full, whole body vibration. And I know there's some doctors that sell and, um, and support or uh, are affiliated with these. Uh, like those vibration plates and, and that kind of thing. And so I'm not going to comment on it because I just haven't seen the literature, uh, but I know that they've said that this is a positive thing. Uh, of course, I would put my money on on, on, uh, on working with a personal trainer. Give the money that, to that person to get you lifting those heavy weights. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, this is from Carlene. Is it okay to use a weighted vest to prevent osteoporosis, especially if you have osteoarthritis in your knees, or would you recommend something different? Okay, yeah, that's kind of like a mixed question. Um, does wearing a weight vest, weight vest cause additional osteoarthritis in your knees? And, you know, weight activities, impact activities are risk factors for uh, knee arthritis, like for instance, like football or something where you're impacting and, uh, and causing stress on the knees. And those are things that are associated with knee uh, osteoarthritis. However, 
However, that being said, I really like the idea of a weighted vest because uh, and exercise because people with osteoarthritis, believe it or not, have less pain when they exercise than they do when they take it easy and don't exercise. They actually have more pain. So you wouldn't believe the x-rays I've seen, Chef AJ. You wouldn't believe it. You'd look at these, these knees. They look like two nubs with, you know... <laughs> hideous osteoarthritis and you ask the person they're like no pain i don't have any pain at all you know so um believe it or not activity the activity that you can tolerate use the physical therapy model where you work up to your tolerance and you back off if it's causing you pain and you know you can increase your um your your tolerance so uh i'm not saying hit it too much too soon but i think you know weighted vest is is a way to increase your activity on your walk uh, uh, without increasing your mileage. And I think it's a good idea. Great. Thank you. Uh, this is from Johanna. I've been told that I am osteopenic. They're uh, recommending 500 milligrams of calcium twice a day supplement plus exercise with weight bearing, which I already do. Will the supplements actually help or will they harm my bones more? Well, based on information from the Cochrane database and from the U.S. Preventative Task Force, they would suggest it wouldn't, it wouldn't help prevent fractures. And uh, we do know that 1,000 milligrams was what was studied that increased heart attacks and stroke, uh, doubled your risk for heart attack, and uh, increased your risk for stroke by about a third. So I would stick to the food. I would stick to the food and, and, and uh, try to throw that out there for the, for the docs uh, and say that's what you're worried about, that uh, you like your bones, but you also like your heart and your brain. Okay, well, speaking of the food, Tracy wants to know about prunes. She said, I've heard a few bone health studies involving the therapeutic use of prunes. Do you know if there is any proven benefits to eating them for bone health? What about other dried fruit like dates? Well, uh, I'm sorry that off the top of my head, I don't know the calcium content of prunes, uh, but I do know that figs are of the group. Figs are the highest for calcium. And uh, so things like dried figs are, are great, like little calcium bombs in a, in a whole food. And so um, there's one of the things I like nothing more than like a fresh fig. I love them. They're great. They really add to a plate. Uh, but unfortunately, you can't get fresh figs all the time uh, unless you have a fig tree in your house. <laughs> so uh, get a thing of fresh figs and maybe eat one or two per day to supplement your uh, your your healthy healthy diet. And so I, I wouldn't, I mean, you can just kind of somebody Google how much uh, in the chat or something, somebody Google how much is in uh, prunes uh, and dates. But, um, you know, I tend, tend to not uh, recommend a lot of dried fruit uh, just because it's a yellow light food, a Dr. McDougall yellow light food. It's a little bit higher in calories. But if, if you're not, uh, if weight, if you're not worrying about losing weight or something, you can, you can venture a little into the uh, yellow light foods and include these in your diet. Great. Well, those are all the previously submitted questions on topic. So if you have time, there's a couple in the chat I would like to ask. And the first one is from Sarah. How are you doing, Sarah? Nice to see you here. Do you suggest a collagen powder for osteoporosis? No. Okay, good. <laughs> but how do you really feel? That's wonderful. Thank you. And then I saw a really interesting question from someone who actually is in a wheelchair and she's wanting to know, Oh, here it is from Diana. I'm a 64 year old woman in a wheelchair and I have no balance. What's the best source of exercise? And am I still in danger of getting osteoporosis? 
I'm sorry, Diana. Yeah, you're more at risk. Uh, being immobile or, or you know being in a wheelchair uh, is a is a risk for osteoporosis, uh, and so you really want to be careful with falls. Uh, you want to, you know, I, I don't know about the your full situation in terms of your mobility, um, but it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a risk factor. And, uh, and, and so folks who have immobility, that is one of the uh, kind of indications for medications. Uh, and so it might be something that you would want to talk to with your doctor, but maximize your diet, making sure you're doing the right stuff. And, um, and then uh, you can do upper body activities too, uh, if, if, uh, if you can't use the lower body. Uh, and then some, you, you might even try to do machines, machines. If you have lower body machines that, uh, that someone could help you get into the machine, um, where you could do like leg press with those machines. If, um, if you have some strength with the legs, so staying as active as possible, despite being immobilized like that is very key. Thank you. And Beth says, could Dr. Harrington, please repeat the BMI recommendation, the lowest BMI recommended for women with osteoporosis. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I do want to clarify this because, you know, this is, uh, I'm not trying to body shame anybody. Uh, and, and so this kind of, it's all about risks and benefits, right? Risks and benefits. And, uh, I had a slide up, uh, that had BMI versus other things, other risks like heart attack and, uh, cancer and things like this, but it was a crazy busy slide. So I took it out. We do know that as after about BMI 22, your, your risk for all these other problems increases kind of exponentially with each BMI uh, as you go up with BMI, even though the range for normal BMI is 18.5 all the way to 25. The sweet spot is 20 to 22. So 20 to 22 is kind of the perfect, uh, you know, if you have the U-shaped curve, a U-shaped curve means on the right side of the curve, you have more problems. And on the left side of the curve, you have more problems. There's a sweet spot, 20 to 22. So um, if you find yourself lower than BMI 20, I, I it feels weird for me to tell you to gain weight. It, it, I, I just, it, that, feels, that feels weird. If you're under 18.5, I definitely want you to gain weight because that's considered underweight. But if you're 18.5, uh, or in between 18.5 and 20, I would say definitely don't lose weight and, and kind of look, look to yourself and uh, do some chronometer and stuff like that. Find out if you're kind of reaching your nutritional goals uh, with, with your normal diet. If you're not, you may want to bump up your, your calories enough so that you can meet your nutritional goals. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell people down the river who are 18.5 to, uh, to 20. Uh, but that is a kind of concern because you could get sick or get the flu or do something and ride up at the hospital or something for a couple of days. So we can get you further in, further into loss and lower than the 18.5. And that can be problematic. Great. Do you want to take the other questions that are not on topic, but if you know, either way, it's okay with me. Yeah, I got a few minutes. Let's do it. Okay, great. Okay. These are different uh, topics. This is from Renee, who I believe is watching live. And she asks, uh, it is said by certain doctors and researchers that cancer is a metabolic disease. What is your opinion? And is there a benefit to follow a ketogenic diet? I would never eat animal products, but some people do vegan keto. Some people do vegan keto. And 
the uh, and some people have success with this. Um, and I am not agnostic to diets. Uh, I would I would consider the uh, gold standard the low fat, high fiber, high carb diet. Uh, and so, but some people actually do find that to be difficult to sustain. Um, but what I, what I don't like about the, the, the keto diet is the fact that it's is high fat and that it's easy. It's hard to sustain that too. It's, and it's easy to bump your carbs enough to get you out of, uh, ketosis. And, and, um, so then you're just eating, you potentially eating this high fat, uh, uh, high carb diet, which is clearly, uh, problematic. Uh, and, and so, I, I still recommend the goal to try to shoot for this high, high carb, low fat. And honestly, it is very difficult. I will, I will admit, you know, trying to get your fat percentage to 15, 10%, it's really hard to do, especially if you're eating very many nuts or avocado, it's very, very hard, but getting the fat down low, uh, is, is key. I think if you're really trying to lose weight, uh, you know, so. Uh, one, some people would suggest trying to get protein higher than 10%, 10, 15%. So that's like puts you at, um, you know, 15% protein, maybe uh, <laughs> uh, 10% fat and 75% carb. Thank you. And the last question was Susan. And she says, do you recommend getting the new COVID vaccine due out soon? I'm 78 years old and I've had all the previous vaccines offered and I have not yet have co had COVID. Okay, well, what you got to know about Dr. Harrington is Dr. Harrington's pro-vaccine, pro-vaccine. Pro I've had them all. I've had even ones you probably haven't heard of, you know, because I've been to, uh, you know, countries far away. And, uh, you know, so I have a lot of faith and trust in the preventative health community that's that's trying to stamp out disease with vaccinations. And I'm all about preventative. Prevention is an ounce of, uh, worth a pound of cure. Um, and so... Uh, you know, the problem with, you know, any of these vaccines for these ever shifting viruses is that once you get the vaccine, it's going to not be up to date by the time you get it. And so you got to accept that a little bit. Uh, but the, the concept is that you're giving your body the jump on the virus. You're at least getting to know what the virus looks like or what the virus cousin looks like. And so um, your body will have these preformed antibodies. Because what, what you're trying to do is that if you get the virus and your body is native to the virus, your body will have to develop antibodies for it. And that takes time. Meanwhile, the virus is replicating in your body and wreaking havoc uh, before your body's um, adaptive immune system comes in with the uh, antibodies to kill the virus. So I'm always pro-vaccine because the goal is to develop your own antibodies, your own best medicine against it. It won't prevent you from getting COVID. It will not prevent you from getting COVID, but it would help your body get the quickest jump on it. So you'll have a lower severity of COVID. Great. Thank you. Just want me to read a nice comment from the chat. Kathy says, you are a great doctor. Spend a lot of time with your patients. Well, thank you. This was a very scintillating topic. All right. All right. I'm glad it was, uh, it was fun for the audience. Great. Thanks so much, Dr. Harrington. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 11 a.m. tomorrow for another wonderful vegan doctor, Dr. Ron Weiss for The Doctor Is In Q&A. Need to get those questions submitted in advance to be sure they're answered. Take care, everyone. Bye.